This is Make Yourself at Home, a podcast from BizNow where we look at the pandemic's impact on real estate. I'm Miriam Hall, I'm BizNow's New York reporter. This week, we looked at how the commercial real estate lobby is preparing for the upcoming election and looming fiscal crisis. For the piece, which is up online now, we spoke with State Senator Brian Kavanagh. He's the chairman of the Committee on Housing, Construction and Community Development. In this week's episode, we're hearing our conversation, which touched on how the senator expects to be working with real estate and potential bills that are on the agenda. It was a very big change in the 2018 election when uh, control of the Senate switched from the Republicans to the Democrats. And since that time, we have been pursuing you know, a strong agenda that is intended to balance the interests of tenants and landlords on the housing side and make sure that to the extent we're using uh, tax breaks to incentivize certain behavior, that those uh, tax breaks are well tailored uh, to that purpose. Um, I think that you're going to see a continuation of that uh, in the next session. You know, I expect that Democratic majority will continue to be in the majority, perhaps with a few additional seats. We last spoke just after the passage of the rent reform, well over a year ago now, and you said that real estate has been used to getting its way, but you were willing to have conversations and listen to ideas. Have you had conversations with members of the real estate community in the last few months, and and what have those conversations been like? I am always open to talking with any interested party that is affected by the legislation we do or that has, you know, proposals to address public problems. We've had a lot of conversations in recent months, particularly about addressing the difficulties of the COVID crisis. So we've had lots of conversations about rent relief programs and how that those should work. We passed a bill that is the strongest mortgage forbearance legislation in the country, and that was, you know, there were lots of conversations with the real estate industry as well as the uh, banking sector. And you know, we we continue you know, all of those conversations uh, on a on a very frequent basis, meeting with both the big kind of citywide and statewide umbrella groups that represent property owners and also with individual landlords and small groups of landlords uh, from the communities we represent. Has the tenor of those conversations changed? Considering there was, it was a lot of tensions about 18 months ago in the wake of that legislation. Have those, I guess, negotiations, communications shifted at all? Yeah, look, I I emphasized this when we passed the HSTPA, and I would emphasize it now. Uh, There is no – I was actually – I think I was at the BizNow Forum at the Mm -hmm. City Bar Association when one of the questions was, you know, did the Democrats just set out to punish the landlords? And there has never been, in my view, any – goal here of making people's lives difficult for its own sake. Uh, The goal has been to get the policy right to balance the various interests, recognizing that people don't always agree on how to balance those. So, but yeah, I think that, I think that many people in the real estate industry were taken by surprise by how far the HSTP went in favor of tenants. Um, From my perspective, it was undoing a lot of loopholes that have been added over the course of many years. I think one of the things that is different now is that many, when the fundamental problem is that lots of people have an inability to pay rent because of the COVID crisis, I think that many landlords see that their interests are more complementary to the interests of tenants rather than 
adverse that one of the things I've been pushing for is a broad-based, federally funded rent relief program that would pay the rent of tenants who have been unable to pay their rent. And I think many landlords and other bankers and other people that are part of the real estate sector have welcomed that as a sort of the best and most straightforward means of dealing with what is going to be otherwise a very difficult housing crisis going forward. So you're saying that members of the real estate community are more amenable to conversations now? I don't want to speak to their intentions. I've always been amenable to talking to anybody, and I was I was when we were working on HSTPA and did have conversations during then, and I continue to have those conversations now. We in the Senate and, and my office and, and uh, the Housing Committee have always been open to those conversations and will continue to be open to those conversations. What about the good cause um, eviction bill? Where are we at with that? But I know that's something that you've supported in the past. I think it's still a priority for many people. Um, it is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that there's any uh, recent news on it other than I'm certain that it will get reintroduced uh, in the new session. And I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of interest uh, in it in both houses of the legislature, uh, but it's not something that we have passed in either house as of yet. I think it's important to recognize that the bill is intended to ensure that landlords are not pushing people out of their homes for no reason without any good cause. And, um, you know, I've emphasized to, to people in the property, you know, property owners, who, whenever I meet with property owners and discuss that, they always point out circumstances where they feel a compelling need to remove a tenant from the home. Uh, some of those are uh, enumerated in the bill as good cause. And uh, in other cases, they, you know, certainly would, you know, you certainly would have a case to be able to, you know, seek a good cause eviction. It's not a, it's not by any means a blanket no eviction policy, and it is intended to balance the interests of landlords and tenants. Shorter term, I think we're focusing really on the question of the eviction moratorium, which is a blanket restriction on evictions, and that is a public health measure that is intended to address the fact that, you know, we're still in an ongoing pandemic where it's gotten infection rates uh, under control in most of the state at this point, but it's still a huge problem in our country. So uh, I and many others feel it is not appropriate for people to be evicted in the midst of a public health crisis. And so that, to the extent we've been thinking about evictions, we've been focused uh, more on that in recent months than than on good cause. But I know good cause will be uh, an issue for a lot of my colleagues. What about that cancel rent bill? I think that was something that really raised the ire of a number of people in real estate. Someone brought it up with me just this morning saying it was absolutely preposterous. I don't know how successful it's been in kind of advancing through. What's your take on that? I think the cancel rent movement has really played a role of getting people's attention for how serious uh, this rental crisis is uh, given COVID. Uh, There are many thousands of tenants who are unable to pay their rent. Um, so it is, it's, it's both a broad crisis and that affects a lot of people. And I think for individual tenants and landlords, it's a really deep crisis. There's a lot of unpaid rent uh, that is built up. Uh, and I think, you know, the cancel rent movement has gotten an enormous amount of attention and it's not just in New York, it's nationwide. The approach I have been uh, advocating is rather than canceling the rent uh, to uh, develop a program to pay the rent, uh, for tenants who are in hardship. Uh, so the latest version of the cancel rent bill uh, would 
would cancel the rent and then compensate landlords uh, for uh, the lost rent. Uh, and it, I, the approach I've been, again, since March, our, it's, it's a COVID emergency rental assistance program, uh, which has, you know, uh, a solid majority of all the Democratic Senate conference and many assembly members supporting it uh, would take the approach that we've done in many other areas, which is to create a voucher program. It would be an emergency, you know, short-term program to get people through this period, but it would cover the rent of, um, you know, virtually all tenants who have had uh, hardship during COVID uh, for the duration of the emergency period. Um, and I think that that approach uh, is, uh, you know, something that, that has gotten a lot of interest in both houses at this point. But but both of these approaches, both the current version of cancel rent uh, and the program I was just talking about require significant amounts of financial support. And the we've been looking to the federal government for emergency rent relief. Um, I, you know, again, we, uh, many of us, about 200 elected officials and uh, housing organizations got together and made that request on behalf of New York back in uh, March, the very beginning of the crisis, um, for $100 billion uh, nationwide, of which New York might see about $10 billion. And uh, that has now become the official position of the House Democrats. And uh, the Senate Democrats in the negotiations have been working toward getting uh, a real rent relief package out of the next federal stimulus, which, of course, has been long delayed. Um, but I think property owners as well as tenant advocates should understand that it is going to be very difficult to address this crisis without uh, real financial relief from the federal government and, and ideally specifically financial relief that is earmarked uh, to rent relief. That housing access voucher program, I believe that's what you're referring to there. Is that correct? Not exactly. No. So there, there were two, there, there's a housing, the housing access voucher program is, I mean, this is, sorry, this is, this is a housing voucher program. But mm -hmm. the Housing Access Voucher Program is a bill that we had introduced in February, pre-COVID, that was intended to address the needs of homeless people. Um, mm -hmm. That is still a, a big priority. We actually have, you know, the numbers of family homeless, at least in New York City, declined somewhat because we haven't seen evictions in recent months. Uh, but it is really critical in a public health crisis that we, that people are not living in public spaces and they're not living in congregate settings. So, uh, you know, how creating long-term permanent housing options for homeless people is still a critical priority. And the housing access voucher program was my proposal uh, to address that before the COVID crisis. So that, that's a program for, for people who are facing imminent loss of housing or who are actually homeless. Um, the bill that I've been talking now is we call it uh, CRAP, the COVID emergency rent assistance program. But that is intended to be a comprehensive emergency voucher program. It was uh, created in response to the COVID crisis, and we've been working on it and updating it as we go forward to, to get it right. The idea being that we want New York State to be ready to spend uh, money on rent relief as quickly as possible once we get it from the federal government. And so, we, so we've been working on that bill. We've been having conversations between the Assembly and the Senate, as well as with the executive branch about how that kind of program would work. And again, I'm somewhat optimistic that at some point the federal government will get around to doing this next stimulus bill um, and that we'll have resources available. So that program is, again, intended to spend a very large amount of federal money. Um, in the meantime, we did do that Emergency Rent Relief Act, which was a, a, a small program uh, that was funded with $100 million of 
federal assistance that we previously received, um, and that is a program that HCR, the state agency, has been attempting to implement. Um, it's been challenging for them, but money is beginning to flow out the door to cover the rent of some tenants, but that is that is limited to tenants who were low income before the crisis and continue to be low income during the crisis. And to put it in perspective, that's $100 million is about 1% of the $10 billion I mentioned that we're trying to get out of the federal government for rent relief. So it's a very small program that it just begins to address the crisis. So, okay, so putting, just considering, so the Housing Access Voucher Program or vouchers in general, I understand that the real estate community supports that concept. And you mentioned cancel rent, cancelling rent, but then looking to have um, uh, landlords paid uh, rather than just like a full cancellation of rent. So those kinds of, I guess, um, renegotiations or, or recreations of those ideas and those concepts, would you say that they're like a, a, a line that you're trying to walk between the interests of um, the community in terms of housing and protecting the community as well as protecting the business interests as well? My goal is to ensure that people have access to stable, affordable housing, uh, you know, stable housing that they can afford and that people are not displaced by the COVID crisis. And obviously landlords play a big role uh, in that, you know, they're they're the current providers of the private landlords are the current providers of the great majority of the rental housing in the state. And so, you know, from my perspective, uh, using federal stimulus money to stabilize the housing market uh, and to ensure that tenants are not displaced and also that they that tenants are not left with enormous uh, financial burdens going forward. Um, that's the goal. And it's, so it's not like, you know, the goal isn't to split the baby here. The goal is to ensure that we have the most effective program possible. And I think the most effective way to address this crisis is a large-scale rental assistance program. So that's what I'm working on. There is like a prevailing kind of fear that the Senate will become more, quote, hostile to real estate interests. Um, what would your advice be to the real estate industry now, considering, I mean, imagining that all things go as people predict they will or you predict that they will, that the Democrats will maintain the majority, potentially expand their majority. Um, what would your advice be for the real estate community in advancing their interests and in working with lawmakers? I would say that uh, property owners, uh, just like anybody else, should focus on uh, the role they play in in promoting the economy promoting things that are that are important uh in the public interest and recognize that uh i think the old model in albany where uh the senate republicans it's fair to say um prioritized property owners interests often to the detriment of tenants um and i think the assembly uh democrats of which i was a member and i served in the assembly for 11 years um you know, often viewed, there was often this notion that the assembly uh, would protect tenant interests and the landlord, the Senate would protect landlord interests and then some kind of horse trading uh, that needed to go on. I think that it's a very different circumstance uh, in that we've been able to have real conversations about what these policies should look like um, without, you know, kind of different camp, a different camp in each house of the literature. So I think that people who have 
uh, legitimate concerns uh, should bring them to their to their own legislators. You know, uh, there are senators and assembly members across the state that are you know very interested in housing. Nearly all of us view housing as a in particular as a key issue, although I think we've all become also more aware of the important role of commercial real estate um, as we've looked at uh, businesses and, um, you know, communities getting decimated by COVID. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's – I, I harbor no hostility toward, uh, you know, landlords uh, as a class. Um, there are certainly – uh, some bad landlords that uh, engage in really pernicious behavior that give, uh, <laughs> you know, that might make it more challenging for landlords to make their case. But I think that, you know, property owners and all New Yorkers should be looking to the legislature to focus on solving problems and especially addressing the COVID crisis in a way that uh, allows us to stabilize things and move forward. Someone did bring up 421A with me because it's due to expire in 22, I believe. Um, yes. Is it something that you support and would continue to support? No, I, I well, I think the program, I think the program as currently structured is far too generous and relative mm-hmm. to a limited uh, amount of affordable housing. And again, it was negotiated at a time when it could be linked to things that uh, you know tenant advocates wanted. Uh, so I think it's going to be a different negotiation now. You know, the rent laws, HSTBA made the rent laws permanent. They don't expire every few years as they used to, uh, which mm-hmm. I think was a terrible cycle where, um, you know, every few years landlords and tenants had to figure out what the law was going to be, um, even, you know, <laughs> right in some cases right down to the wire, uh, you know, as we did in, in 2019. Uh, so we made the laws permanent. Uh, so it's not, 420 is not likely to be linked in that way where, you know, landlords get what they want with respect to 420 and tenants get continued rent laws. So the negotiation is going to be different. But I think the the question is, in a, New York City is foregoing about $1.5 billion a year in taxes uh, as a result of 421A. I think there's a really important question about looking forward, um, how smart an investment is that? And uh, is the program well-structured to maximize the value of that enormous uh, tax expenditure? Uh, so I, you know, I opposed the uh, 421A in its current form, uh, even the last time it was renewed. And um, so I think we're going to have an active conversation about what, um, what incentives are necessary uh, to promote affordability and to promote multifamily housing. What about the Pierre de Terre tax? I don't believe you're a sponsor on that concept, but do you support it? I have, I support, we are going to need to do substantial additional revenue uh, to get mm-hmm. ourselves out of this crisis. And there are a variety of mechanisms through which we could do that. You know, the last time we talked about Pierre de Terre, there was some concern about uh, how it would be implemented and whether the, uh, you know, the, the amounts of revenue that we were projecting could be realized. I think those conversations are ongoing, uh, but I think people should understand that uh, in response to this enormous public health crisis, we are likely to need to increase revenue, and Peter Terra is certainly one of the options that we'll be considering. Any others that I should know about while I've got you on the phone? Um, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a list. I mean, I, I support a bill uh, that Jessica Ramos is carrying that would uh, tax uh, capital, like unrealized capital gains from people who, from very wealthy people, some of whom have done very well during COVID uh, mm-hmm. in an exchange, and that money would be earmarked in particular for the needs of 
uh, people who are, because of immigration documentation issues, are ineligible for many existing programs uh, that the federal government and the state government offer. Um, but that's so that's one option. Uh, you know, a stand, you know, adjustments to the personal income tax uh, system are certainly an option. Uh, but again, I don't think, as the governor has said, uh, you know, really nothing is off the table at this point. And I think that um, you know this is a very tough budget uh, that we're facing for the current year, and certainly as we go into next fiscal year, the big question is going to be to what extent does federal money become available? Because I think well, I think New York State and every state and really every locality in the country is going to have a very hard time if the federal government doesn't realize that it's you know it's long past time for another stimulus.